0: Welcome to the Fierce Mothers Podcast, where we help Black and Brown women find guidance and inspiration every week. We are so excited to have you listen in. I'm your host, Gochi Onyewu. Oh my, I had such an inspiring chat with Fun Layo Alabi who is the founder and CEO of Shea Radiance. Shea Radiance was created when Funlayo and her husband noticed that both their young boys had unusually dry skin. When local products failed to resolve the problem, Funlayo tried the shea butter she had grown up with in Nigeria, where it has been used for centuries for cooking and medicinal purposes. Guess what? The cream worked on their son's dry skin and a business was born. At Shea Radiance, the company believes that when a woman feels beautiful, she can focus her creative energies on changing the world. I can relate to that. Funlayo talks so openly and in such an authentic manner about her journey through setbacks, adversity, starting from scratch standing out in a crowded market, and so much more. This discussion is a reminder of why I love what I do, which is building a community of fierce women like you and this amazing lady that I spoke to today. You are in for such a treat. Hey, Funlayo. It's so good to see you. Thank you so much for joining. How are you? Ugochi, it's great to be here and I am doing well. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Thank you so much. I've already introduced you to the audience, so we'll just kick it off. You just tell us a little bit about yourself. It's usually how I like to kick things off. Talk to the audience. Tell us a little bit about you, your background and everything that you do, who you are. Talk to us. All right,
1: all right. So uh, my name is Funlayo Labi, as the audience already knows. I am a co-founder in a company called Shea Radiance. It's a company I started with my husband, Shola, Uh, married. I have two boys. I live in Maryland, and I hail from the wonderful continent of Africa by way of Nigeria, (laughs) by way of Lagos, I was born in the UK and returned back to Nigeria when I was five, but all my formative years were in Nigeria. And then at the age of 17, uh, my younger sister who was 15 and I came to the United States to go to college. And so we went to Howard University and yeah, I'll leave it there for right now, because I'm sure you'll find out more about me as we continue the conversation.
0: You will, and I've already found out. I didn't realize, I was born in London as well. I didn't realize you were born in the UK, so that's already something. Yes, right. Manchester. Oh, my, I went to the University of Manchester, so Oh my you. goodness, look at that. <laughs> we'll have to connect and talk more offline. That's awesome, awesome. Yeah, so talk us through your journey, because we want to dive right in. You know, we, we know you're a successful entrepreneur. I don't think... There are many that don't already know who you are. So talk us through your journey to entrepreneurship. What made you decide to become an entrepreneur? Did you always know growing up that this is what you'd be doing?
1: You know, that is a really good question. I, you know, growing up, I never really knew what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I knew that I enjoyed meeting different people. I knew that I enjoyed travel. I knew that I enjoyed, you know, when I say different, just a diversity of people and experiences. So even when I was in um, secondary school in Nigeria, I went to Queens College. Mm -hmm. One of the things I love about that experience and even carries on to, to till today is the fact that I had friends from all over Nigeria. So I've always been a celebrator of diversity. In terms of entrepreneurship, I grew up in your typical Nigerian home where my father worked for the state. He was the accountant general and my mother was the secretary for at an oil company. Well, everyone had a side hustle. (laughs) The side hustle lifestyle was always there. So fast forward and coming to the States, went through Howard, studied business. First of all, started out studying accounting, and I felt that that went against the grain of my very nature. (laughs) (laughs) Just because my dad was an accountant didn't mean I had the same gene organization to to do accounting. So by the second year, I was like, Mm -mm. Fenlayo, you're
0: not going to make it. Respect yourself, yeah. (laughs) Yes,
1: yes. So (laughs) I ended up changing my major to international business Hmm. because of that passion to want to see the world. And so when I finished at Howard, I went to grad school, Christian grad school, where I majored in business also. So I don't know, necessarily think all these experiences necessarily prepared me to be an entrepreneur But I will say that having kids and having to address a problem we had as a family, we have very dry skin and my kids had eczema, made us start wondering about why there were not enough moisturizing options in the market to take care of our family's dry skin. And so my mother was visiting from Nigeria. We're like, mom, can you bring us some shea butter, she ended up bringing us like five pounds of shea butter. <laughs> and we used that on the kid's skin and we used it on our skin and the transformation was amazing. Mm-hmm. And Ugochi, if I tell you that the shea butter she brought was not the best quality. I think they were, you know, you could see, you know, organic pieces of the streets of Lagos in it, you know, <laughs> you know, bits of flies mm-hmm. and debris. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the essence of the butter was exactly what we needed, and what we couldn't get. Mm. And so that was kind of the foray into entrepreneurship. I was like, you know, if we have this problem and we are solving it, perhaps there are other people who have that same problem and let's take it
0: out to the world and see how they respond. And yeah. that was the beginning. Awesome. So I can say that I'm a customer of Shea Radiance. I, you know, get it from Roots, Roots and more ah, Roots. Yeah. Yes, yes. Andola. So on that note, Talk to us, tell the audience about Shea Radiance. All right. So
1: I think what excites me most about what we do is the fact that we create all our formulas from scratch. And we centered Shea Butter as the key ingredient because Shea Butter is so amazing. I know that for many of us who grew up in West Africa, I think if you're probably over 40 years old or maybe over 30, you took it for granted right growing up. It was like, oh, you know, it stings. It's this, it's that. I'm going to buy something that is in a bright, shiny package. And we all kind of are drawn to really well packaged, well branded uh, body care products. But the truth of the matter is that when we discovered Shea Butter, we were at the point where Target, Walmart, all those places had failed us. In fact, anytime we use the products on the boys, within two hours, they would be like completely ashy. Mm -hmm. and you know most of us mothers don't like our kids going to school looking unkept and so I was like this is it's not working and the reason it wasn't working is because when you read the back panel of a lot of these lotions and creams it's every kind of filler but what you really need
0: yeah
1: and even if they're putting it in it's in such a low amount and what I found was that they're not making lotions for brown skin people. Because when you're brown living in the Western hemisphere, whether it's the UK or America, this weather can wreak havoc on your skin and leave you looking looking and feeling dry. Mm -hmm. And so we create all our formulations with that in mind. So using shea butter as the base, we add other ingredients to it to create what we call the whipped butters. Right. So we have the Roche butter, which you're probably getting from Roots. Yes. And then if you want to elevate the experience, if that's (laughs) even possible, you can buy our whipped butters. They're much softer. Mm
0: -hmm. They
1: include cocoa butter, rice bran oil. Mm -hmm. And then for those who struggle with extreme dry skin or if their kids have eczema, we put um, colloidal oats because Mm -hmm. it's super good for the skin. So like just four or five simple ingredients, we whip it together, fill the jar and then send it off to the stores. And then we also learned how to make creams. And so we can also make a uh, shea butter cream, which has lots of good shea butter. It has water and an emulsifier for those who want something lighter. The shea butter, because it's such an integral part of the brand, uh, we source it directly from the continent. Mm-hmm. So uh, part of my passion to travel was really satisfied when we had to start sourcing ingredients. And so I had the privilege of traveling to parts of Nigeria that I never went to when I was in Nigeria, like going north mm-hmm. and then going west to like Shaki and all Kwara and, and all those areas, right? Mm-hmm. Got to go to Mali, got to go to Ghana, Ivory Coast, and now we're sourcing from Benin. Mm-hmm. And so we bring the raw um, ingredient in directly from the co-ops of women who produce them. And then we use them in all our manufacturing here. So when you support Shea Radiance, you're supporting a whole community
0: of um, women farmers who are plugged into our supply chain. And I think that's so amazing. And that's a key thing. I'm so glad you called that out because there are a lot of consumers or customers who that's really important to them, Mm -hmm. right? So that's good. So they can enjoy your products. And it is an elevated experience. I'm not quite sure how you elevate it beyond what I'm (laughs) buying. But just knowing that you're buying something that's of such high quality, but you're also helping is just so amazing. And the fair trade practices are awesome. So I'd love for you to, Maybe, Tom, this is a question I, as you were talking, I hadn't thought about until you started talking. What, where would you say, and I don't know if this is a fair question, I'm just curious, where would you say the best quality shea butter that you've sourced has come from, or does that not necessarily apply?
1: It varies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It varies. The Nigerian shea butter is very rich like the shea butter you would get from that oil shaki going into niger state Mm -hmm. it's softer it's full of olin so the the Mm -hmm. what impacts shea butter of course is the topography the kind of rainfall and you know what is in the land and so the um the shea butter that comes from nigeria is softer it has more of an olin content right because she has both olein and stearin Mm -hmm. And I feel like that makes it really good for cosmetic manufacturing. Mm -hmm. But it also lends itself to getting rancid very quickly.
0: Yes, Yes.
1: And it has more of a camphory smell, Mm -hmm. but it's really good. It's great at stimulating the collagen with all the eczema issues and inflammations. It's super good because of the hyaline content. Mm -hmm. When you go into Ghana, the the shea butter has a sweet cocoa smell that Mm -hmm. is just... Yeah, I mean, When the women are processing, you're yeah, like, you know, who is who is processing cocoa? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. For some yeah, yeah. Reason, the chemical composition kind of exudes, you know, cocoa in it. Mm-hmm. They have more stearin than olein mm-hmm. in their cocoa butter. So it's a lot firmer and it tends to have a longer shelf life. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. because it's also unrefined, like the one from, we're buying from Nigeria, it has all those healing properties. And mm-hmm. then Benin is kind of like a balance between the two. Having said that, I'm biased. Yeah. I love them all.
0: They all have they all have good qualities that I love. of course. I love that. That's so so interesting. You could talk about this uh, and I know you can, right? Just your passion. <laughs> talk about it for ages. But you know, it's interesting if we talk segue a little bit into the business side and then I'd love to come back to the family side because you are a mother of two boys and talk about how you balance that, which is a question I'm sure the audience will have. But as we talk a little bit more about the business, what kinds of methods or strategies have you used to build your business Business that are maybe unconventional or that people may think are surprising? All right, so
1: in the early, early years, I didn't have a business plan. Mm-hmm. I just would write down all my ideas about how, what I wanted. I I was more drawn by the aspiration of what I wanted Mm -hmm. the business to be. So in my notebooks, I would write, you know, I didn't like the fact that the body shop was telling our stories, you know, about, you know, raw ingredients. It's like, I or someone like me should be telling the stories of where this came from because we know what it's like, you know, growing up with Shea Butter and how our grandmother mixed it and all the interesting ways that our people use it. Mm -hmm. So I was driven more by the vision than the business. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of unconventional. Yeah. And then I also wanted I wanted to build a brand. I didn't Mm -hmm. just want to sell Shea Butter Mm -hmm. because everybody was already selling shea butter and they could do it so much inexpensively than I did. I wanted to build a brand that meant something. And so even from day one, we were investing a lot in our packaging and branding the best that we could with the amount of money that we had. Mm -hmm. We always wanted it to be a lot more than just um, shea butter.
0: Mm -hmm. So Yeah. yeah, it's so interesting that you say that because you Your brand, and I'm just, this is on, because I've always been a fan of shea butter, especially after I had the twins with the stretch marks and everything. And I used to buy it just raw and unrefined. Your brand was the first time that I actually saw shea butter as a luxe product, if that makes sense, right? Because we're so used to being in Nigeria or even just being here and going to the African store to get it or whatever, or having people bring it, to your point about the debris of this <laughs> future. You see it as this sort of, it, it works and it's great, but there's nothing glamorous or beautiful about it. It's just just slap it on and it works. Your brand was the first time I was like, you know, this is packaged so nicely. It's actually a luxe brand, right? So it's interesting that you talk to that because obviously your vision really, really came through, you know. But can you share a story about when you took a significant risk that paid off in your journey? Oh, my goodness. I think my journey
1: has all always been about risk, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when we started the business and we started off, first of all, figuring out, okay, friends and family were stopping by the house to grab jars of butter for their kids' eczema-prone skin. Mm-hmm. And I've always believed that you only really have a business when people are willing to pay for what you're putting out there. Because people will take free stuff, whether it's good or bad, and, you know, put it under their sink or use it or whatever. But really having the courage to take your service or your product, which I'll call your baby, out into the market and see if anyone else wants it. That's one of the biggest steps Mm -hmm. of faith that Mm -hmm. I find entrepreneurs have to make. Mm -hmm. Because I also meet a lot of entrepreneurs who all their dreams are in that notebook I was talking to you about, and they have it sketched out, finessed planned, but they never acted on it, right? And so one of my biggest moves was to sign up um, at a farmer's market in Olney, Mm -hmm. and when we were accepted into the market, to take our table, tablecloth and put the shea butter out there and see if people would buy. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't an easy experience. It was a diverse market, but it was mostly white people. They didn't know about Shea Butter. Now, why would I go to only of all places, you know, to go and sell it? Why couldn't I have gone somewhere else? But I just, in my mind, I was like, you know, this product is for a diverse audience. So I want Mm -hmm. to see if I can educate. And so every, was it Sunday or Saturday? It was Sunday morning. Um, and we also did one on Saturday. So my husband would take the kids to church on Sunday, and then everyone would come back and meet me at the farmer's market, and we would sell and close out. We would be there just talking to people about shea. Um, we had our signage. Uh, we I would rub it on people's hands. And we slowly built up a very loyal clientele mm. from the local farmer's market. But making that step out was one of the hardest. And I'll tell you, the next hardest step mm. was... When we started getting a little bit of traction, you know, my husband and I would be up all night filling jars, doing all these crazy things, and then doing the farmer's market the next day. And I was working in DC. And during the time I was working in DC, I would also travel with all kinds of USAID um, sponsored projects, you know, to the Shea Parklands and all of this. And I remember coming back to work one day and sitting in a meeting and people were talking about all these technical things. And I was like, I am wasting my life. (laughs) I need to, if I want to elevate this business beyond a hobby, I am going to have to put my entire self and my entire time into it. Mm -hmm. And so the next big leap was quitting my job Mm -hmm. and doing Shea Radiance full time those were the two big, the two yeah. big selling my first product face to face and then transitioning from my job. It is not something I recommend yeah. for anyone mm. till you are completely ready. Please do mm. not use this as an excuse <laughs> to quit your job. It was risky. Mm. And I was just determined that I was going to make it work, even though we were not financially ready for
0: that move. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I was going to ask you, but I'm glad you clarified because of yeah. course I was going to say there are people in the audience who are taking that slow step into entrepreneurship. It may be on, as a side business and Hearing you, they may be like, oh, maybe. So my question was going to be, right, when is the right time? And, of course, you, you you already clarified it may not be the right. Don't take this as a reason to quit going on Monday and quit your job and, and be stuck. I love that. But I, I also wanted to ask you before we move on because you said something else about your first selling your first product, and I know only, um, I know exactly where that farmer's market is, uh, selling, and and, and it, it wasn't, at least at the time, I'm sure, not as diverse as maybe it is today. Mm-hmm. So the first time you showed up at the farmer's market, I'm assuming, or maybe you were even blessed that you had a sale on the first day, but, but it could be that you did not. What was that feeling like in the beginning? So selling your first products, like one person is interested. If one person is interested, maybe two, maybe five, maybe 10, etc. But until you had that one and you're out there selling, what was going through your head? What was going through your mind? Was it hard? Was it like, oh, no, this is not working. Nobody cares. I'd love to hear <laughs> a little bit more about that. <laughs> so, yes, it is
1: scary. And honestly, yes, you're going to stand there and people are going to walk by you and and, you know, you've put all your signage up and you're hoping that people see, you know, you. And then there are people trying not to make eye contact yes. as, they're, <laughs> as they're walking by. And I would tell myself that, you know what? I'm here to build relationships. Yes, I'm here to just tell people what I have. Mm-hmm. I, I brought like little samples that mm-hmm. if someone would at least make eye contact, I would put it in their hands and then draw them into the booth. And, and so I became less focused even on the sale. I was just uh-huh. focusing on if I can connect with more people, mm-hmm. You if I can just talk to them. Maybe if I can tell them one thing about where shea butter comes from, or maybe I can put it on their hands and they can see and feel. So I focus less on the selling and more on the people, you know, how I can help them. Like, you know, maybe if I told her about this, cause I know shea butter is really good for burns and I know these people are going to roast themselves in the, by the seaside very soon. Maybe I can, you know, tell mm-hmm. them about that. And mm-hmm. it was really, when I started looking at it more as a relationship, mm-hmm. I was able to relax more. Mm-hmm. And the person who actually bought the first product, I didn't even really talk that much to. Mm-hmm. They were just ready and they came and they bought And it's so funny. One of my greatest customers was a red haired Russian woman who would come at the end of the market with her fiery, beautiful red hair. And she would come and scoop up like five or six boxes, expecting me to give her a 20 percent discount because she came late and she's helping me. So it's just amazing. A lot of serendipitous things happen when you just kind of put yourself out there.
0: Yeah, you know, that's so awesome. You know, the light bulbs kind of went off for me and I'm hoping as the audience is listening, that's the same for them. You know, when you said that you focused less on the sale and more on the people or the relationship building, I think that same principle applies with anything, right? Whether the audience is selling online, whether it's more of an e-commerce type product or whether it's digital services or whether it's a physical product taking your mind off of the sale and focusing more on the relationships and your people is such a nugget. I'm so glad I asked that follow-on (laughs) question. Awesome, thank you for that. Thank you. So I'd love to really ask you, because I know you talked about having two boys. I know you're a mother and um, how do you balance it? How old, first of all, how old are your sons? And I'm sure they were younger when you started, Mm -hmm. of course. So how did you balance it then? And how do you balance it now? I'd love to hear that.
1: Well, so when they were much younger, my oldest is now 25. My youngest is 17. Mm-hmm. And we had already kind of started a lot of these things even before the business launched when my youngest was maybe about two, mm. right? He was two. And my oldest then, he had a lot of medical issues also. He was a, um, a kidney transplant recipient. He was, oh, wow. he was he had been a very sick um, child so, and so we had one child with all these special needs, and then another one that it looks like he was just born with eczema all over his body. So, both my boys were very high maintenance. And so, how did we keep it balanced? I think at that season in life, where we were the beginning business was beginning to pick up and we were spending lots of nights making products and everything, I didn't have the luxury of subscribing to a lot of Western traditions of, you know, here's the strict bedtime because my kids just didn't fit into that mold. So Tolu, I will tell you, there are pictures of me with him strapped on my back,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: trying to get him to sleep while I was filling orders because I couldn't really spend the time, you know, kind of talking him through, you know, why you need to be in bed and everything. So I would say that being an immigrant And seeing the different ways our parents and grandparents had raised kids and they didn't turn out to be axe murderers (laughs) gave me a lot of permission that I could do different things while trying to build this business and my kids would turn out all right. Mm -hmm. So it was like a mental switch for me that, you know, they're going to be fine. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know, and and the thing you you called out is they've grown with your business, so they yes. see they're right in there with it. They understand the the sacrifices, the discipline, the work ethic, the passion. They understand it all, which is you know, which is great. So you just took them along with you, strapped them to your back, filled orders, made it seem easy, even though I'm sure it was yes. really difficult, right? <laughs> yes. And even at the farmer's market, when they
1: would, you know, um, because we went to a church which was about a couple of miles from the farmer's market. After church, they would run to the market. They would play there. They got to meet a lot of really great people like Carla Hall from um, yes. what's that um, cooking show. She was at the yes. market. They got to take yes. pictures with her. So the farmer's market became like, an after-church activity for them where, you know, they literally grew up there. After a while, my older son was the one directing traffic for the market, you know, so. Wow,
0: that's amazing. That's, yeah. awesome. that's awesome. Yeah, I love that. I love stories like this. I just, they really speak to family and community and all the wholesome things that we know about, right? So, yeah. you know, speaking about uh, sacrifice and discipline, I'm sure even though you're successful today, I'm sure there's been some setback, some mistakes, some failure, and I'm always interested to hear those because I think that's where some of the real nuggets are uncovered. So with that, I'd love to know what is in your mind the most unexpected lesson that you've learned from a failure or a setback in your business? Talk to us. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So
1: I I would still go back to this experience because it's one of the biggest ones. And this was where uh, Shola and I had to decide if we were going to continue or not. Uh, within about two years after I left my full-time job, and obviously that was a sacrifice and did put a strain on the family, but we 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 were managing, we had an awesome opportunity to get our products picked up by Target. Nice. They Somehow they had attended a, an event, a show I was doing. You know, we typically do really... Nice, interesting-looking displays. Nothing over the top, but you know, th- I guess the way we had the merchandise caught the buyer's eye, and they reached out to us and told us that they wanted to bring Shea Radiance into Target. Now, this was uh, this was many years ago. This was when the natural movement was just beginning, so mm-hmm. we were kind of a little bit ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Now, Gucci, one of the things I'll tell you is that even though I feel like we make amazing lotions, and when it comes to branding, we have all that down we were still very naive about what it really took to build Mm -hmm. a brand, Mm -hmm. right? We always prayed that we would get picked up by Whole Foods. And of course, Target was the ultimate goal. And it happened so quickly within when I started building the business. And we didn't realize the financial requirements Mm -hmm. that you needed to have in place um, before saying yes to a big box store. So naively, we were like, yes, we figured out how much the purchase order would be. We knew it it was going to be profitable based on our margins. And we're like, you know, this is an answer to praise. It's a no-brainer. We're going to do this, right? Now that I know what I know, if you want to launch into a big box store, you need to at least have half a million to a quarter of a million just to get you through the first year of launching because it's crazy expensive and we were bootstrapping. Mm. And so when um, Target picked us up and we filled the first purchase order, it was amazing. It was a lot of work. We made it happen. We even had a launch party. Everyone knew that Shea Radiance is in Target. Aren't they great? Such a brilliant couple, an example of, you know, how, you know, we can be in a big box store. And we were very proud because, Mm. not in a bad way, but we we knew it was an amazing accomplishment. It meant that we had done something well. It meant that we had been noticed. Mm
0: -hmm. Of course.
1: But what we didn't know was that that was just step one of many steps to what it took to be successful in retail. We didn't realize that we needed a budget to market the heck out of our product. Because even though... You're sitting on the shelves of Target. You need to send your customers into Target to buy your stuff. Wow. Yes. So I always felt like, oh, Target is my go-to place. I'm always in Target. I'm always buying. Well, if you're not, if people are not looking for you, they're not going to find you if you're not telling them that, that you're there. Wow. And then when you launch into a store, there are lots of logistical things that happen too. Um, Many within the first couple of months, the product was not stocked or they would stock it and it would be on the bottom shelf. It was just crazy. And within about nine months, we were failing. We were running out of money. The sales were not great. They couldn't find the product or they mislabeled the product. All these things that typically when they happen and you're well financed or for the larger brands, they're able to kind of roll with it. That okay, this is normal because they know the the boat will write itself maybe in eighteen to twenty four months. Wow! But for <laughs> us, we were just we were just drowning. Uh, we would they would run a promotion or sale, which ends up coming out of our pocket. And I'll be like, oh my god, don't let anybody buy anything because we're gonna be broke. <laughs> So it was, it was really, uh, it was a perverse situation just because we were not prepared. And so within a year, we realized that this opportunity is a nightmare. It's a nightmare because we're not ready. And because of how traditional retail works, it Mm. wasn't set up to be friendly to small businesses and certainly Mm -hmm. not businesses like ours. And so within in a little over a year, Target said, you know, we're going to pull you off the shelf. And when they do that, they don't just take you off the shelf. If you fail in retail, you pay for the honor to be pulled off the shelf. What? Yes. And if they put you in that clearance basket and they're selling you for 75 percent off, they're still going to make their money from you. You'll pay them back. (laughs) Yes, Wow. so so we, we went through that whole thing. And at the end of it, you know, Sheila and I looked at each other, you know, we were completely devastated. And we're like, you know, should we even continue doing this? We've obviously mm-hmm. failed very badly. And we just kind of took stock of, you know, what we were doing, talked to a couple of advisors. Mm -hmm. Uh, the advisors told us that yeah I mean when we're looking at everything (laughs) you guys don't have anything left Mm. but you know one of the things that kind of made us kind of rethink the business was the why
0: Mm.
1: you know Mm. we were talking yesterday about first things yes and one of the reasons we started the business was to solve problems we did have customers who really loved what we were selling. And they were not enough to bail us out of all the trouble we're in, but they were there. Mm -hmm. We had a number of independent stores that were very loyal to us. Mm -hmm. And then we also had a community we were working with in Nigeria that we had promised that we would always buy from them. Because one of the things the women had told us when we visited, we are like, yeah, all you people are always coming from abroad and taking Mm -hmm. pictures and saying this and that. And we know how it is. You never come back. Look, inside this um, hut, I have um, five bags of, uh, five huge bags of nut that someone from abroad said that they were going to buy. It's still sitting here. They haven't paid me and they haven't come. Mm -hmm. And so we were always like, no, we're we're not going to be that kind of partner that as we grow our brand, we'll continue to work with you. Mm. And so I was just thinking about all the promises we made and this and that. And so we decided that, you know, instead of just bowing out and me going back and getting a job and continuing our lives like it never happened, that we were going to stick it out. Mm. And Gucci sticking it out meant starting from scratch. Hmm. Um, It meant that I had to be okay with the fact that even though we had done this huge store launch and, you know, papers had picked up and everything that I had to humble myself back to, I have to start building this. I had to start going from store to store to store to to kind of recover some of the accounts that we'd lost. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to, you know, we had to get used to not having everything that we wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, and just really slowly and organically begin to build the business back up. And, you know, it's, it's so funny when I think about it, it's, I used to be so embarrassed about how we had failed mm. and that embarrassment almost made me lose my voice.
0: Mm.
1: But I was like, but you know what, if you're going to build a business and build it authentically, this is, this is my life. You know, we had this really ugly car that I used to fill with water and because we couldn't afford to fix something in there. And I know at one time someone invited me to speak somewhere and I was like, I don't why are people inviting me to speak? Yeah. I don't have any reason to tell you anything because mm-hmm. I am parking my car down the road because the thing is leaking, mm-hmm. you know, but part of it was also God saying, this is your journey.
0: Yeah.
1: You're going to keep showing up. Yeah. You're going to do what you need to do. And you're not going to be pretend to be more than what you are. So yeah. deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> And so uh, that, that's been my journey.
0: That's uh, been my journey. I
1: still don't even feel like we're completely done with it, um, but that is really
0: part um, of my journey and, and part of my story. Oh my gosh. I love this. It's so, so authentic. And you know, what you describe as you failed, and I know you know this, but I, I you know, I wanted to call it out, you know, cause when you're going through it, it can seem like a failure, but it's not, it's not, it's just a, I don't even know what to call it. It's an experience that is a nugget of information for Mm -hmm. someone else, right? It's an experience that prepares you for your next level. And, oh, I mean, this is is so, so good. Thank you for sharing that. So good and so authentic too, because, you know, you never really know what people are going through behind the scenes because Mm -hmm. through it all, I've known you for a while. I've admired you from far. I've always seen you as someone who's graceful and so like ah oh, so dignified and so like poised and you know <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile you're like on the. I'm like dog. You know? yes. yeah and I do remember when you launched in target and I just thought oh my gosh she's so amazing and and honestly you know it's a lesson to other people too because sometimes we can be so uh and I'm speaking about myself so like Aware of oh my gosh it didn't work people will see that it didn't work but people all people see is success because to me it's like oh you went from Target to Whole Foods to Roots there was no failure in there you see what I mean whereas but all this stuff is going on behind the scenes so I'm so glad you shared such an amazing story thank you as we continue I do want to know though because you talked about the different types of you know the raw the the elevated experience and then the creams and I know you have different flavors like you have The I think it's the um, apricots and things like that, right? So I know you're continually innovating. I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit about that, right? How do you get, how do you innovate? How do you get fresh ideas? Where do you go for inspiration? I'd love to hear a little bit about that.
1: Oh, that's such a lovely question. So (laughs) inspiration, innovation. One of the things I don't take for granted is the fact that I am from Africa and that I am from Nigeria and mm. that I am a global citizen mm. because I get my inspiration from just the variety of things I have experienced in my life. So when I started traveling to the different co-ops and I saw how the women were extracting the butter mm. and you know what happened with the finished product, It was there that I was inspired to make sure that if I ever sold a raw butter product, it would never be rock-like. That it would have that smoothness of, you know, the molecules being relaxed so that you could just easily scoop them out. So Mm -hmm. it seems like a really simple thing, but those are the things you see and observe. I get my inspiration from food, right? Mm -hmm. So. I would go, I do, I go to trade shows to learn and to get educated, but one of the ones I plan on going to is the fancy food show in New York, Mm -hmm. because I find that food inspires my creative abilities. You know, I always feel like shea butter-based products, because shea butter is also a food, right? In the villages, the women saute with shea butter, so Mm -hmm. kind of having those ideas in mind, you're like, okay, so what are they doing with olive oil? Ah, What are the Indians doing with ghee? You know, Mm -hmm. how can I incorporate different things that are happening globally into what we are creating in in Shea Radiance? Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that serves as inspiration is my journey as a woman, as a middle-aged African woman. Mm -hmm. I am through menopause going through the next phase Mm-hmm. My skin is, get, is still dry, and so I'm learning about new ways of creating the product that addresses that dryness in mature skin. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also working on a skincare line right now that mm-hmm. is all about keeping the skin glowing. You know, we, aging is an honor, right? Yeah. yeah. It's a blessing because not to age means you will be dead. But I just want to go into my 60s and 70s looking and feeling amazing. And so I'm looking at different ingredients to keep that melanin popping, deal with hyperpigmentation. And if, if I'm going to wrinkle, I want my wrinkles to glow. Yes. <laughs> and I know a lot of women feel that way. So, so yeah, so those are where my inspiration, uh, the many areas where I get my inspiration.
0: I'm uh, speaking of food. Speaking of being, uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'd call you middle age. Being in midlife, as our friend Kwavi talked. Yeah, Kwavi, yes, you'll right? yes, set me straight on that. <laughs> yeah. Talking about looking amazing, which you do. Thank I you. want to ask you, while I have you, how do you show up looking so fabulous? I know you eat healthy because I follow you on Instagram. You talk about health. I try. Taking care of yourself. Talk to the audience a little bit about that. Because people will see you and be like, ah, goals. So tell us about that. So one of the things
1: I found, and I think this is in alignment with, you know, some of the principles, you know, when you deconstructed fears Mm. and you were talking about the the engine part of it, Mm -hmm. that resonated. So when I, in my 40s, when I was beginning to go into that perimenopausal, I went early. I was moody. I was, all kinds of things were going on. And my doctor also did my lab work and said, you're pre-diabetic. Oh, all right. Okay. Yes. So, okay. and even before that, I've always been a rather slim person. Yes. You know, I had this slim frame. And so it was at that point in my life that I realized that, okay, God has built you however he has built you. But if you wanna stay healthy, if you wanna stay functional, then you're gonna to have to be intentional about how you care for yourself. Mm-hmm. Fanaya of 20 and 30 and 36 is she's not happening anymore. You know, if you if you want to, you have to really be intentional. You know, when I was younger, I mean, I could eat bars of chocolate, drink coke, and I would still look and feel fine. Mm-hmm. If I eat chocolates, right, as much as I love it, you'll be able to see it under my eyes. It's so unfair. Uh, yes, my, it's like my body just doesn't deal.
0: Yeah. And
1: so so thank you for the kind words, but I I I've had to be intentional about how I eat, right? I've had to be intentional about eating well and I especially like to lean into a lot of our traditional Nigerian foods. If I go to any of my friends who are Igbo and they're making those greens, I'm like load it on my plate and maybe I'll have just a little bit of rice to go with it, but I will max out on, on the veggies. I, I do exercise. I find that it helps my mind. I'm constantly changing what I'm doing as I get older to find what really works for me. So, um, yeah, thank you for those kind words. Um, (laughs) But I'm intentional about it because yeah. I think once you get into your 40s, you can't just hope
0: yes.
1: that everything will begin to will be like it was in your 30s. Yes. You, you yeah. literally have to work. And why yeah. do we work on it? So we can be around for those we love yes. so that we can successfully build our businesses and enjoy the fruits of our labor so that we can be a blessing to others. You know, God can only walk through this. I mean, once this breaks down, you're going home. Yes.
0: (laughs) So, so I, I want to be a good steward of, of the, the temple. Amazing. Amazing. So yeah, they may be kind words, but they are true. So thank thank you you. for giving us a little bit of a, a, a snippet of your secrets, very much appreciated. As we start to round up, maybe you could share with us some words of wisdom. So when you said you started your business, there were already people doing Shea Butter, however they were doing it in its raw stage or whatever. It kind of reminded me of a lot of people in entrepreneurship today or a lot of people, to your point, who have their ideas in notebooks but never execute. The most common excuse that I hear, actually, and I've heard a few, is usually everybody is doing it mm-hmm. or there are already people doing it. Some, some variation of that same thing. There are already people doing it. So whatever I'm doing is not unique what would you say to people who would come up with that kind of excuse based on your experience? How do you, how does one, regardless of what they're doing, stand out in what is a crowded marketplace, regardless of what it is you're trying to bring to birth? Does that resonate? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: I mean, the product might not be unique. The solution might not be unique, but you are. Yeah, you yeah. are. No one can do it like you. And there are people who have been walking about, ro- walking by this very unique solution product that haven't looked because you haven't presented yours, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And maybe there are some people who would have never tried Shea Butter if Funlayo and Shea Radiance hadn't come on the scene. And there's so many people in the world, there's so many solutions that people are looking for that they haven't mm-hmm. found, even though there are abundance of mm-hmm. things out there. Mm-hmm. So I would say that you are the, the X factor mm-hmm. and nobody can do what you do. Mm-hmm. And the more you know yourself, the more you can be yourself. And that affects everything that you do. So don't let the fact that everybody is doing it scare you. How are you going to do it? Mm-hmm. Every time I present to a store, they always say, okay, who are your competitors and from a business point of view, yes, you should know who your competitors, who are you sharing the shelf with? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to Whole Foods, there's Alafia, there's Shea Moisture, there might be one or two other brands, but I know what makes me unique without having to take them down. Mm-hmm. And they're all doing great work. Alafia always ordered his Shea Butter from Togo. He was an inspiration to me. He showed me that it could be done. Mm-hmm. But when I sell Shea Butter, I'm selling it uniquely from a woman's lens, Mm-hmm. I am selling women shea butter luxury. I'm selling s- self-care. I'm mm-hmm. hoping when they connect into the brand and they come to my Instagram that they get to hear from amazing women like you. So mm-hmm. we're selling an entire wellness self-care experience to women that even transcends shea butter. Yeah. And that is how you know people should be thinking about their service and their product. That yes, everybody might be doing, but what What is uniquely you that you are going to bring that no one else can do?
0: Mm, Amazing, amazing, amazing. So last question, is there anything you'd like to share with the audience before we close? Or is there anything you were hoping I would ask you? Oh, my God. I just I think you've asked me
1: everything. Um, I would share one thing is don't be afraid of competition. Mm. Don't be afraid to collaborate. Yes. With others. Right. You don't lose anything by even helping your competition Mm -hmm. because there's so much room, so much abundance. And let's start thinking more expansively. If I help another shea butter seller find jars or I tell her where I'm getting my caps from or who makes my labels, it doesn't reduce or diminish me in any way. Mm -hmm. So I want to encourage women especially to not be afraid of collaborating and sharing you don't lose you actually gain by being a blessing
0: yeah thank you thank you such wise words of wisdom thank you so much funlayo this has been an amazing conversation thank you so much for coming on the show Gochi, thank you for having me on this has been such a delight thank you thank you for listening to this episode What was your main takeaway from this episode? What did you like? What, in your opinion, are some ways that we could improve? I want to hear from you. You can reach me at ugochi at fiercemothers.com. To learn more about Fierce Mothers, please visit our website at fiercemothers.com and join our mailing list for our weekly newsletter. The newsletter provides powerful tips and inspiration for life. Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Fierce Mothers. Follow me on LinkedIn at Ugochi Onyewu. We are building an engaged community of fierce mothers. So please tell your friends about the show. See you next week. Thank you.